Welcome to the Encephalitis podcast. In today's episode, I am delighted to welcome fellow podcaster from across the pond, Jackie Stebbins. Jackie is a former tri trial lawyer uh, turned author and motivational speaker from Bismarck in North Dakota in the United States. In 2017, Jackie became ill with encephalitis or encephalitis, as you guys say over in the US. Um, but she experienced quite a host of difficulties, really, such as insomnia, paranoia, hallucinations and memory loss. In the summer of 2018, after being voluntarily hospitalised in a psychiatric ward, Jackie was finally diagnosed with seronegative autoimmune encephalitis. To help her recovery, she began writing and speaking about her journey with encephalitis. And Jackie and I met on Twitter and became allies and friends, I'm very pleased to say. So Twitter is good for some things. Um, today, Jackie hosts the podcast Brain Fever, on which I'm proud to say I have been a guest and is also the author of the J.M. Stebbins blog. But we will tell you where you can go for all of these things before we finish our pod today. Um, today, Jackie hosts the podcast um, Brain Fever, as I say, quite often. Have I been on once or twice now? I can't remember. Is twice. it once or twice? Yep, it's yep. been twice. twice no, right? it's been three times, I think. Okay, I can't remember. Um, but earlier this year, Jackie's memoir, Unwillable, and here it is. I've got everything. I've got my Unwillable bookmarks. I've got my book with my personal dedication. I absolutely love it. Unwillable, uh, Journey to Reclaim My Brain, was published by Wisdom Editions. Uh, so welcome, Jackie, and it's wonderful to be able to return the favour and have you on the Encephalitis podcast. It is always a pleasure to be in the company of the Dr. Ava Easton. What Just what a joy to be here today. Jackie and I really can't wait, actually, until we actually get to meet in person. I don't know how long we've known each other now, but with the pandemic, it, it feels like it must be three or four years now. It must be. Um, yeah. I remember reaching out, I think, um, when I heard about your podcast and kind of muscling my way into your podcast and going, I can be on it if you want. So, And I remember feeling like starstruck, like, oh my gosh, <laughs> the CEO of the Encephalitis Society wants to be on my podcast. So you did reach out and thank goodness you did, because, you know, now we, we do, we have this alliance and a wonderful friendship and it's absolutely great. Well, we do. So look, I'm going to get straight into it, Jackie, you know, let's start at the beginning. What was life like for you before uh, encephalitis? So I definitely still have a wonderful life now, um, but I really felt that I had an absolutely wonderful life before I got sick. I was a mother to two small children. My kids were five and three. I have a husband. His name is Sean. I was a lawyer. And from what I hear, I was a fairly successful lawyer and fairly well respected. I owned and operated my own law firm with my partner. His name was Michael. So it was the Stebbins Malloy law firm. Michael Malloy was my partner. I was always a very independent woman, very driven. I was very confident in my ability to, you know, read and write and speak. So confident that my parents tell stories that I was actually very stubborn and argumentative as young as like two years old. And I was speaking in sentences at such a young age. 
So it really did seem to be my destiny to become a trial lawyer. And I love that. I did, you know, pretty well in school, worked very hard to get to the career that I was at. And in 2018, when I was diagnosed with autoimmune encephalitis, I had been at my career almost 10 years. I was making more money than I ever dreamed I could have. I was trying a lot of cases. And yeah, I just remained this really confident woman. And I thought I was very healthy and I had my life all mapped out. And then something changed. Right. So 2017, I think it was, you began to fall ill. Um, you talked there about being diagnosed in 2018. So I guess we're going to talk a little bit about why you would become ill in one year and not be diagnosed until the next. But tell us what happened. So with the benefit of high insight, I can point to when the AE was you know, starting to be at work in my brain and body. And it was in the fall of 2017. It was actually right at the daylight savings time switch. So it was in early November. And I woke up one morning at 4 a.m. And it was really odd because I usually got up at 5 a.m. to go swim or to start working or to get to work early. So 4 a.m. was kind of odd. And I just brushed it off like nothing and kept on going. But that 4 a.m. wake up call routinely was happening. It was as if someone was setting an alarm, like in my brain, I would just spring awake. And it went from odd to exhausting. And I started in search of some answers. Um, this went on until about January. And in January, I sought out, um, it was actually one of my OB physicians. I was so healthy, Dr. Ava, I didn't even have a primary care physician. I really had never, you know, I didn't need one. I'd get the common cold like I have now. <laughs> And um, so I went to see my OB and I wondered if my hormones were maybe out of whack. And I really just wanted this quick answer. And by March, I became an insomniac. My sleep was no longer interrupted. I could not sleep. And it began to terrify me. A good person can go bad immediately when they can't sleep. And so this, you know, kind of prolonged onset of disrupted sleep was really wearing on me. So by March, I was an insomniac. And as I got into April, I got a little desperate. I started searching for answers. And that's when there was kind of this general consensus that I was working too hard, that I was burnt out, that suddenly my drive and my independence and my desire for perfection and being such a workaholic, the few people I finally let my guard down to my mom and a few close friends and my law partner and those few people I confided in said, Jackie, this is depression. You're burnt out. You know, the burnout is causing anxiety and depression and that's causing your insomnia. And I, I didn't really believe it was depression. It didn't quite feel that way to me, but I was getting very, very sick. I was getting, um, I was getting absolutely, I was just searching for answers. I was desperate. And so April became a very long month and a struggle. And I was prescribed some medication to sleep, which did not work. And by the end of April, I was starting to feel tremors in my hands. And I felt this deafening white noise kind of blaring in my ears. And I started to feel like an empty shell of my former self. It was almost like I was this thin eggshell and there was nothing inside of me. Um, trying to describe a sick brain is almost impossible. You are so sick but it's like, you can't point to anything. 
So I continued to think it was burnout and anxiety. And that's when I checked myself into the psychiatric ward. And from there, my life goes really dark and I have amnesia for about a month and a half. So it must have been really difficult um, for you and your family, that decision for you to enter the psychiatric ward. Can you tell us a little bit about that? So from what I remember, um, I started begging my family to commit me to the psychiatric ward because I believed that that was the only place that was going to be able to help me and deliver me from this honestly tortured existence from such a lack of sleep at that point for months. And I remember a conversation at my kitchen table, my mom and dad had passed through and my husband was sitting there and my little boy, and I can just barely remember it. I was crying really erratically and everybody looked so somber. And I looked at my mom and I, well, first you'll appreciate this because Dr. Ava knows that I consider myself to be Elton John's largest fan. And I remember saying, as I just was crying so hard, I said, if Elton John himself came to my house today, I wouldn't care. And if you know me, you know that that was, it was just this desperation in my voice. And I looked at my mom and I said, please, you have to put me in the hospital. Like I have to be able to sleep. And my mom was still fairly convinced I had depression. And she's like, you know, I, I just don't think it'll work that way. And I remember being devastated. Like I need to go to the hospital. So actually what happened was one of my best girlfriends, her name is Ashley. I don't remember this, but I was calling her and she finally said, I've heard enough, like Jackie needs help. And so I'll never forget. My husband came to me when it was a Monday, kind of in the morning. And he said, Ashley's coming and we're going to check you into the psychiatric ward. And I was overjoyed, which is really, it's so telling of how awful I felt because honestly, Dr. Ava, if you would have asked me earlier in life, Jackie, where do you think you'll end up in jail or the psychiatric ward? I would have said, well, hopefully neither, but I think jail first like that. It was something I never even dreamed. And all of a sudden I was begging to go there. So I was finally committed um, voluntarily um, with the help of my husband and my friend. And I spent 48 hours there. So we've heard this uh, long onset, as we as we know now, not uncommon with these autoimmune types of encephalitis. But can you remember the first time you heard the word encephalitis and what your reaction was? You know, I really don't. It was such a process for me to understand this disease. So after I got out of the psychiatric ward, um, I had this period of like six days where it was like madness. And my husband was like, what is wrong? She's getting worse. And finally I started having seizures and I had this very serious grand mal seizure in bed. Um, just as I had gotten to a neurologist and we had began the workup for autoimmune encephalitis. I remember being at the neurologist and understanding that something was possibly wrong with my brain, but that it was like, it, it didn't, I couldn't register that. Whereas the Jackie now or the Jackie before would have been terrified. You know, oh my gosh, something's wrong with my brain. It was like, I couldn't even understand. So we had just began the, the workup for AE and I had this grand mal seizure in bed. It was very violent. It broke and dislocated my shoulder and broke my back. And I landed in the hospital again. And I have very little memories of the hospital. I have very little memories until really I go to the Mayo Clinic in about the middle of June. So the only 
real memory I have of trying to, you know, my brain was turned back on from steroids and I was trying to learn about what had happened in this month that it went by and, you know, that I wasn't even a part of my life. And I remember I'm sitting at my kitchen table and my mom is here and Sean is here. And I was talking about being mentally ill and having to go to the psychiatric ward. And, you know, I, I can't remember the whole conversation, but my mom and Sean were like, no, Jackie, you didn't belong in the psychiatric ward. It was your autoimmune encephalitis. And that's the first memory I have of saying, oh, like it finally kind of penetrated me. And I understood that I had a brain illness. So I'm sure they had told me many, many times for weeks before that, but I don't think I could understand it. It took me I think a year to really understand the disease that was affecting me and its name. I had never even heard the name before. Yeah. Was there any, um, did you feel any sense of relief at all when you, you suddenly you had a diagnosis, uh, which you hadn't had for all of these months before? I think I did. Um, and of course now, you know, I'm almost five years away from this. So I'm glad I put it all into the book because that the book is kind of my stored memory um, from what, you know, my mom has told me and my husband has told me, of course, they had to help me piece together this time in my life. I knew something was terribly wrong with me. I knew I was sick. I didn't want anyone to see me in the condition I was in. I just couldn't really understand it. So I think when I got to the neurologist and my family was trying to convey to me, like something is wrong with your brain, but he's going to help you. I think it was a relief. And for my family, it was an incredible relief which how odd is that, right? To have this news that you possibly have this rare, dreadful brain disease, but I was so sick and so dysfunctional and so far removed from that, you know, bright, independent woman I was, my family was saying, oh my gosh, thank goodness that we do, you know, that this is what we think she has. And I remember when I went to the Mayo Clinic in June, I was really hoping that I had AE again, how strange because it was the devil we were coming to know and understand versus, you know, this continued uncertainty of, of what was affecting me. So, yeah, I think it was in the oddest way, it was a relief. Right. Well, we know that often um, after all types of uh, or many types of ill health, recovery isn't necessarily a smooth journey. Um, I know that you have a tattoo and I know that that tattoo says just keep swimming. Um, and I've heard you describe recovery as a lifelong process. So tell us about this just keep swimming and, you know, this process of recovery. I think the best way you can describe recovery is a big black hole where you have no idea what to expect and you have no idea what's coming at you. It's not only the disease itself. With me, the disease came with a lot of collateral consequences. I treated with very high doses of steroids, which gave me significant other health issues. I found out I had other autoimmune disorders. So for me, recovery meant I was by myself in my house because I was not confident in my brain. I wasn't confident in my ability to speak. And I knew that I couldn't perform to be the Jackie that people knew, which was upsetting to me. So I was isolated. I did not know that there was the Encephalitis Society in the UK. I did not know there was the Autoimmune Encephalitis Alliance in the US because I was so scared to even look at any information for fear it was going to tell me that I was going to lead a horrible life. 
and that I would never recover and that I would never have the brain and personality. Um, and I think, you know, what's best summed up is two steps forward and one step back. I think that's how I always felt. I would make a little progress and it didn't take much to disrupt that. I was full of anxiety. I was depressed. I knew that my career was gone. I knew I had to walk away from my job, my law firm. Um, I was afraid I would just die. You know, that was a really, I kind of felt impending doom for about a year. So I think recovery was probably one of the hardest things I've ever had to do, but I use the word stubborn about myself in the intro because I am stubborn. And there was part of me that said, your life has not been completely destroyed, Jackie. You need to pick yourself up and you need to figure out how to do this. And it was really baby steps for me. And I can tell you that the first thing I ever read about AE was a handout from the Encephalitis Society. When I was ready, I printed it out and I sat down and read it. And then slowly but surely, I started to realize I wasn't alone. I met you. I met other people on social media around the world. And I... I just slowly but surely recovered and small things turned into big things. I could leave my house again. I started to be able to tell some jokes and feel like myself physically, my body was tortured by all the medication. Um, I started to slowly look like myself again. And what inspired the just keep swimming was when I was recovering and struggling, numerous people told me just keep swimming, Jackie. And I just started to repeat that to myself all the time, no matter how hard it got just keep swimming. And that was my mantra. And I use it to this day. Well, that's a, a good mantra to have. Um, I think, you know, writing, I think I, I, well, I wouldn't be wrong in saying that writing and speaking about what you've experienced has played a role in, in your recovery. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, um, I guess I've always loved to write even since I was younger, but I never thought that I was writing as like an author or a writer. I wrote a lot for my job and I know my mom always journaled. I knew that that was something she did when I grew up. And when I went into the psychiatric ward, they placed a big emphasis on journaling. And I was trying to kind of carry that with me to, you know, doctor heal thyself um, through my writing. And when I woke up and learned of this dreadful disease, I actually learned that People all over knew all about my disease before me. It had spread through social media. There was a Caring Bridge page that I woke up to. So I think fairly early on, I realized that I had to take some control over this story, or it would probably be very unknown and people wouldn't understand. So implicitly, I just felt like that was the thing to do. And I started writing, but I, I'm being 100% honest. I'm not buttering you up here. I found out that you had written a book. This was before I really got to know you. And I found it and bought it. And I read it. It was one of the first books I read about, you know, encephalitis at all. And your book is about the power of storytelling and narrative. And that's when I realized that what I was doing, writing and journaling and writing on my Caring Bridge page was a form of healing. And I knew that I wanted to write a book. And the more I wrote, the more I felt it helped me. Oh, well, thank you. Um, but I'm going to turn the tables on you on you a little bit and um, turn it back to your brain fever podcast, which we talked touched upon earlier. Um, what type of guests do you have on the show? What, what sort of people do you try and attract onto brain fever? 
So brain fever is fun and it's all for fun. And I think that's what makes the show. There are no deadlines, you know, there's, there's no series of anything I need to fulfill. It can be what I want when I want. And I can tell you the podcast was not my idea. I did not even want to do it, but my husband is a former radio personality and he loves podcasts. I was so boring as a trial lawyer and I worked so much. I had never listened to a podcast. I never watched TV. I hardly ever watch movies. I didn't even know how to run our TV. So I was so behind and he taught me about podcasts and he said, let's just do five episodes, just do five. And it was leading up to my first world encephalitis day that I celebrated in 2020. And so we did the five together and we had so much fun. And the first big guest we had was yours, you. Um, and from there, I realized that it was fun and that I just, it was that continuation of sharing my story to help others. And I can't lie very selfishly. I've invited guests that I've learned from. I wanted you to talk about recovery because that was something I just crave knowledge on. I have had a psychiatrist talk about what is mental health and what is encephalitis and what is the overlap. I, I had another psychiatrist whose son had AE. I have been able to invite all of these wonderful people. And I think, it, yeah, it's been a twofold purpose. Continue to spread awareness about AE. And for me, I've been able to answer very challenging questions that I never could have been able to answer without the help of very professional, distinguished guests. And have you had any feedback to your to your Brain Fever podcast or, or indeed to your blog? You, you have a blog as well. I wish I could keep everything everybody says to me like in a little jar, right? I wish I could have all of the wonderful beautiful, humbling comments. I receive feedback from all over the world. I receive messages um, on my social media, on my email. I, I, I mean, it just, it runs the gamut. I've had mothers write me about their young children with AE. I just had a mother write me the other day, her son finished med school, but she doesn't believe he can continue his life as a doctor, which is devastating. I have, I've met only four autoimmune encephalitis survivors in my life that I think shows how rare it is. I've been so submersed in this. Um, so most of my interaction is online. Um, from what I hear, people find my humor somewhat entertaining, which is good. I don't know if my husband would think I'm as funny as I do. Um, I think people appreciate my honesty. I think they appreciate my humor. And I think they know that I'm very authentic and I'm so proud of the podcast and the blog and my book because I think I've created a movement. It's so much bigger than me. It's so much bigger than my story. I think it's a group of shared resilience and hope. And I think that's the best thing we have to offer AE patients. Well, um, I want to know, just tell me uh, briefly the book here on Willable. Um, there it is. There's Jackie on, on the back cover as well. Um, when did um, the idea for this uh, come to you? At what point in this journey that you've described did you suddenly decide I'm going to put pen to paper and it's going to be beyond um, writing a blog post? I don't know. I don't have any memory of where I thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to write a book from, and my, my mom and my husband don't remember either. All we remember is that I started talking about it very early on when my brain woke up 
um, right behind me on my bookcase, the book Brain on, uh, Brain on Fire was on my bookcase. Once I was diagnosed, that was like the only, you know, idea that anyone had or that anyone knew about as it related to autoimmune encephalitis. So I think my husband bought it right away. And I only remember it sitting on my bookcase. And again, I was very new to this. I had just gotten out of the hospital and on the picture, Susanna Kahlen, you know, has her hair is kind of disheveled and, and she looks out of it. And I hated the sight of that book. I told my family, I'm like, get this out of here. Like, I don't want any part of this. I don't, I am living this. I don't want to read this. I was like terrified of her book, but being Jackie, who was stubborn and so driven, I think I also saw that book and said, I'm going to write my own book. And honestly, that I think shows my stubborn nature and my drive because who else has their brain barely turned back on? You know, they've lived in a nightmare for a month and a half and they are so stubborn. They say, well, I'll write a book then too. But I think that's what I started doing. And I just decided that that was going to be my goal. And no matter what, I was going to do it. Well, Unwillable is a really interesting uh, title for a book. What was the thinking behind that title? The thinking was that I was really bad at titles. Um, <laughs> everyone around me did not like my various titles. I think I had three. And when your title is so bad that even your own mom goes, uh, <laughs> you know, it's pretty bad. So when I located a publisher and they accepted me for publication, I knew the title was going to change and it did. But actually, the process was really fun. I sat down with someone from my publisher, um, Stevie, the director of development at Calumet Editions, and we just had this really beautiful conversation about words and phrases. And I mean, it felt very pie in the sky, but as we talked and, and we kept kind of narrowing it down, I came to, to will it away. And she said, there it is, unwillable. And I said, is that a word? <laughs> and then, um, yes, it was a word and there was no other title. And I loved it. I just, I loved it so much because to me, it really represented what I was trying to say that some things in life are unwillable, like AE was, but not everything is because my comeback wasn't unwillable. And I was able to, you know, rise to the challenge. And here I am speaking with you about it today. Well, you've been on a mini book tour recently um, and I've been watching your uh, your antics on uh, Instagram and, and Twitter and one thing or another. Um, what's the reaction to the book been like on the tour? So humbling. I, I just can't even believe all the wonderful feedback I've received and how many people um, are seeking me out, whether they've heard about the blog or the podcast or the book. Um, I've had survivors tell me that I've given them hope. That's the best thing I can give. I've had women who hope someday that they can have their own baby, which is the beautiful ending to my book that I had a baby after being diagnosed with AE. Um, I would say the, the top few compliments I get are that I'm giving people insomnia. They can't go to bed because they want to continue to read my book. I get that a lot. I love it. Um, I get that it's a real page turner that people can't put it down. Uh, people very graciously tell me it's very well written. 
So all the feedback I've received from old teachers and people I've never met across the globe has been nothing but just wonderful kindness. So it's been a remarkable summer. That's amazing. Um, we're coming to the end of the podcast now. We've got World Encephalitis Day coming up in February on the 22nd in 2023. You're always such a big supporter of World Encephalitis Day. What have you got up your sleeve this time? Um, can you share any plans or is it all still uh, hatching behind the scenes? Well, you know, I like to call you Ava, Dr. Ava, like 007 Ava. So I want to keep a little bit of my secret from 007 Ava, but I can tell you I am wearing my um, World Encephalitis Day shirt, the first one I ever got in 2020 today. And because I assumed you were going to ask me that question, I actually reached out to a friend who works for North Dakota's governor, which is the highest office in my state. And I actually began writing a letter to the governor today um, because I am going to ask for him to light up a very iconic building in North Dakota. So whether that happens or not, I don't know, but I'm going to try. And I think that might be my big event. I have hosted brain mocks since 2020. Um, and per my dear friend, Andy at the encephalitis society, um, he has confirmed that I had the largest in-person gathering in 2020. I was so proud of that in the largest in-person in North America and the last two years, I've had the largest events in the world. So people wear stem and strong shirts, you know, red for wed shirts. And it's just such an honor to see my friends and family wearing red to say that they stand in solidarity with people like you and me and so many others. So I don't know if I'm going to host a brain walk, but I really want to see a big building lit up in red. So stay tuned. Oh, that sounds fantastic. I'm really looking forward to it. And the other thing that we need to do next year is in 2023 is to make sure that we actually get to meet each other, right? Yes, that has to happen. It, it doesn't have to be World Encephalitis so it, or World Encephalitis Day. It can be any day because I just want to give you a big hug and thank you for all the work that you've done for me and my family and for people around the world. Oh, well, it's our pleasure that Jackie, thanks for taking the time to join us on the podcast today. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Um, don't forget, this is the book, everybody. OK, um, now people can get this in uh, bookstores and Amazon and stuff. But if you want to go on to Jackie's blog, which is jmstebbins.com, I think there's all sorts of um, uh, ways that people can uh, get hold of the book on the blog. They can read some of your uh, blog materials. And I think the Brain Fever podcast is on there as well, basically. So it's a one stop shop if you go to jmstebbins.com. The Encephalitis Society remains at your service, so if any of you who are listening or viewing this podcast need any support or, or information, our teams remain at your service. Go to encephalitis.info for contact details or to chat to one of the team online. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast. I've certainly enjoyed it. Love having Jackie on the show. But as always, if you can support our life-saving and award-winning work, then we would be extremely grateful. So please visit encephalitis.info forward slash donate. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Dr. Ava. You're welcome.